Hello, ladies. Hello and welcome. Welcome to all of you who are watching online and welcome to those of you that are streaming at South Campus and a big hello to all of you who are in the room. I'm Deb Haygood. I'm part of the Women in the Word teaching team and it is always such a privilege and such a great joy to be here with all of you studying God's Word together. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for being a part of this study. Today we're going to look at chapter 20 as we continue our study through 1 Samuel. A couple weeks ago we read about Samuel anointing David to be um, next king of Israel. It would be about 15 years though before he takes the throne and actually reigns over Israel. And so for now, King Saul is still on the throne. Next, we saw David save Israel by killing the Philistine giant, Goliath. And then last week, David was successful um, and victorious in some more battles. In fact, in chapter 18, we read that uh, David had success in all his undertakings because the Lord was with him. The Lord was with David, and David trusted completely and wholeheartedly in the Lord, the living God of Israel. We also learned last week that Saul has become very jealous of David, uh, very jealous, extremely jealous, and this jealousy would contribute greatly to Saul's eventual demise. Saul seems to be unraveling before our very eyes. And last week's lesson ended with his son Jonathan and his daughter Michael both defending and protecting David from King Saul. And today in chapter 20, it's going to come to a head as David determines Saul's true intentions for him. The other great thing about this chapter is that we see this beautiful, faithful, loyal friendship between David and Jonathan. Now, friendships can sometimes be difficult. Um, All relationships can be hard at times, and yet God makes us relational people. We're to be in relationship with him and relationship with other people. And so I love that in chapter 20, we are gonna see God give us important truths that we can apply to our lives on how to be a friend. Let's turn to chapter 20, and while you're turning there, I want to tell you um, a quick story. Uh, when I was young in elementary school, my grandmother uh, uh, called her Granny. She gave me a book to read, and the book was Anne of Green Gables, and I loved that book. Many of you have read it, or maybe you've seen it on TV. I loved Anne of Green Gables because I loved the main character, Anne Shirley. Now, she was 11 when the book opens, and she's being adopted, and Anne had really had a pretty rough life up to that point, but she's tenacious, and she's imaginative, and she describes things in the most beautiful way, and Anne had always wanted a good friend. She called it a bosom friend, and so she makes that friend in Diana Berry. When they first meet, they're talking, they're getting along, and so Anne says to her, Diana, will you be my bosom friend? And Diana says, okay, and Anne says, well, let's swear an oath. And Diana's like, oh no, I don't think we should do that. That sounds wicked. And Anne says, no, not that kind of swearing. This is a vow, it's a solemn promise. And so Diana says, okay, that sounds all right. And so she says, what do we say? So Anne grabs her hands, and she looks at her, and she says, I promise to be faithful to my bosom friend, Diana Berry, as long as the sun and the moon endure. And then Diana takes Anne's hands, and she repeats those words. 
And in fact, they do become best friends for the rest of their lives. You know, I think that is what we all are kind of longing for, a bosom friend, um, a faithful, loyal, loving, kind friend, someone that um, is a kindred spirit. Or today we might say someone who gets me or someone that I get, someone that I understand, that I can relate to and talk to. We're gonna see that kind of friendship between David and Jonathan in this chapter 20. So let's begin reading. Look at verse one. Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, what have I done? What is my guilt and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So David has come back from Ramah. You remember last week he went to take refuge with Samuel to escape Saul. But Saul went after David, and we saw the Holy Spirit protect David. And now David has come back to Gibeah. That's kind of the home base, and this is where Jonathan is. And he's come back because he wants to talk to his beloved friend Jonathan to find out what is up. Why does your father want to kill me? What have I done? And the truth is that David's done nothing to Saul. He has been humble and respectful, and he's done everything Saul has asked. And so he's perplexed and he's confused about Saul's behavior. And then Jonathan responds to him in verse two, and I'm going to paraphrase that. He says, no way. You won't die, David. I know everything. My dad tells me everything. Why would he have hidden this from me? Now, those may seem like some kind of strange words for Jonathan to say, because um, last week we saw that Saul indeed tried to take David's life. He had thrown a spear at him, and then we saw that Michael, David's wife, had to mislead Saul's men um, when they came for David to kill him. So what's the explanation? One explanation could be that Jonathan was just loyal to his dad. He wanted to think the best of King Saul. And you know in chapter 19, you might remember that Saul made a vow to Jonathan saying he was not going to kill David. And so it's possible that Jonathan left after that, I don't know where, maybe back to battle or in the army, but he's not around. And so he doesn't know about these times that Saul has now tried to kill David. Maybe that's an explanation. It would seem that he doesn't know when he says this. So David explains in verse three why his dad might try to hide this from him. Look at verse three. But David vowed again saying, your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, do not let Jonathan know this lest he be grieved. But truly as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. And then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. When David says there is one step away uh, from death, he means literally. He had to take a step to escape that spear that was flying by him. And Jonathan hears David, and he says, I will do whatever, whatever you ask. Our friendship is so deep and so strong. Jonathan listened to David's words, and now he understands David's concern so one simple application for us today is to gain understanding faithful friends listen well to each other. Listen well. Now that sounds simple, but for me, it's not always easy. 
You have to concentrate to listen well. You have to put in effort. And listening means you're not talking. It also means you're not thinking about your response that you're gonna give next. In fact, Proverbs 18, 13 tells us this. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. As faithful friends, listen well to each other to gain understanding. So let's go on here and see what David's plan is, and we're going to um, keep reading in verse five. David said to Jonathan, behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at table with the king, but let me go that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. So here's David's plan. There's a couple things we need to talk about. First of all, what in the world is the new moon? What's this feast that's taking place? Well, the new moon happens every month. Um, when you look up in the sky and you don't see a moon, that is the new moon. And it has something to do with um, the earth is between the suns and the moon. I don't know. But anyway, every month we have a time when you look in the sky and you don't see a moon. And this is so cool, guys. Tonight is the night of the new moon. So look out there, see what you cannot see. So... The new moon was very important um, to the Jews because the new um, month started on the day of the new moon. And so according to the law that Moses gave them, they would celebrate this every month with a feast, blowing trumpets and special sacrifices. And so David, as Saul's son-in-law and the military hero of the day, he would be expected at Saul's table. And so how Saul responds to David's absence is going to indicate Saul's true feelings towards David. If Saul is okay with it, then Jonathan's right, and Saul intends him no harm. But if Saul gets angry, then David's right, and Saul wants to take David's life. Sounds like a good plan. Unfortunately, this plan requires Jonathan to lie to Saul. David has no intention of going to Bethlehem. He instead, he's going to hide in the field among some big rocks. So let's pause for a minute and consider lying. You know, we don't see anything written here to let us know if this was wrong or maybe it was okay. But what we do know is God hates lying. It's mentioned many places in scripture. And one of them I put on your verse sheet, Proverbs 12, 22, we read this. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Lying lips to the Lord are an abomination. I think one thing that we do know is that David, over the next 10 years running from Saul, God is going to use that time to teach him many things. He's going to train him um, into some things that he will need to know as he is king over Israel. And I think one of these might be lying, because we're going to see David lie again next week, and it has some pretty drastic consequences you know, it's always dangerous when we say it's okay to lie in a specific situation. 
because that can be a pretty slippery slope to pretty soon we're rationalizing our lives in all different sorts of times and situations. But are there times it's okay to lie? You know, I can't answer that, but when I hear that question, it always reminds me of The Hiding Place, the book by Corey Ten Boom. Some of you may be familiar with it. Corey Ten Boom was a Christian living in the Netherlands during World War II, and she and her family joined the Dutch resistance, and they hide Jews in their home until one day they are caught. But at the beginning of her book, before they've even started hiding the Jews, Germans would come through these towns and they would take up the young men and take them back to Germany to work in their ammunition, ammunition factories. And so this one day, uh, Corey's standing in the kitchen with her elderly father and her sister and her niece, Cokie. And they're standing there getting ready for lunch when suddenly, Cokie, two of her brothers come running in and they say, the Germans, they're down the street, they're going house to house, and they're taking all the young men. Please hide us. So Corey Ten Boom um, moves this rug in the kitchen, and she lifts up this trap door that there's the potato cellar, and so they jump in, they kind of squeeze in. It's a small space. They put the door back down, they cover it with the rug, and then they move the table over the rug, and it has a long tablecloth on it, and they begin to set the table when the German soldiers burst into the house. Some of them run upstairs to look for young men, and some of them run into the kitchen. And they say, where are the young men in your house? And they don't answer. And they look at Cokie. The one with the gun says, tell me, do you have brothers? And she says, yes, I, I have three brothers, and one is away at college. And he says, where are your other two brothers? And Corey says she froze in fright because she thought, what will Cokie say? She knew that Cokie had been raised in the Lord and she had been taught never to lie. And Corey's like, what is she going to say? And so Cokie, as the German points at her and screams again, where are your brothers? She says, under the table. And so the German lifts up the tablecloth with his gun pointed. And at that moment, Cokie, with all that pent up tension and fear begins to laugh hysterically. Now, some of you know people like that. They sort of laugh when they're nervous, that nervous laughter, or when they're in danger or something scary, they kind of laugh. This was Koki. She's laughing hysterically out of nerves. And the German soldier stands up, and he thinks, is she making fun of me? And so he says, do not take us for fools. And he marches out of the house with all the soldiers. That night, they're sitting around the table, and they're discussing, is there ever a time when we can lie? Is there ever a time to be okay? And so half the table is saying, no, tell the truth, tell the truth. Corey's sister's um, quoting scripture verses about it. And then half the table says, yes, there's a time. And Corey Ten Boom is in that camp. She's like, yes, there's a time to lie to save someone's life. You know, that's a hard call. That is a hard call. But I think for us, the policy is probably to try to always tell the truth because we know honesty is the best policy. So enough about lying. Let's move on with this story. Let's look at verse eight. Therefore, deal, deal kindly with your servant for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? And then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out into the field. 
So we see here in verse eight that David brings up that covenant, um, their covenant of loyal friendship. And we studied this covenant. We learned about it first time last week in chapter 18. And when David says there, deal kindly, that word in Hebrew is hesed. And hesed means loving kindness, loyal love, steadfast love. In fact, it's used most often in the Old Testament between God and his covenant people, Israel. It's God's covenant love. In the New Testament, the Greek equivalent for hesed is agape, godly love. And their covenant of friendship is made before the Lord. It's made before their vow is before the Lord and God is the glue. He is the bond in this vow of friendship. And so Jonathan says, yes, of course, I will keep you safe. And so let's go on and look um, at what he, else he has to say. Verse 12, Jonathan says to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, The Lord do so to Jonathan and more also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. So Jonathan is saying, yes, David, of course, I want you to be safe. I am committed to you. I will let you know exactly what my father said. Says, And when he says there, may God be with you as he is with my father, that's Jonathan saying to David, I know that you are God's anointed. You are God's man. You will be king after Saul. And I want God to be with you because this is God's plan. And Jonathan wants God's plan. His desire is for God's will. So he is perfectly okay with David becoming king David will reign over Israel. And then Jonathan continues in verse 14, and he says, if I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So we see there in verse 14, and then once again in 15, we see those words steadfast love, or maybe some of your translations may say kindness or unfailing kindness. Once again, that is the word hesed, that kind, steadfast, godly love. And so Jonathan and David, they renew their covenant of friendship um, that David had asked for in verse eight, And this time, Jonathan adds his descendants, his house. Did you see that? He adds that to David's faithful friendship. Now, it was a common practice in that day that when a king, a new king, comes to reign, that they would kill all the relatives of the past king, so to kind of eliminate any rivals for the new king. And so Jonathan has just said David is going to be king, and he's asking David now, "Um, if something happens to me, David, protect my children protect my children. And then he also um, asks God to protect David's house and David's descendants. Jonathan and David recommit to their covenant friendship out of their great love for each other. 
There's a beautiful story in 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're not going to talk about it, but you may want to read it later. Um, this is written sometime later. It's after Jonathan has died. And David keeps this covenant vow by showing kindness to Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. So after they uh, recommit their vow to one another, Jonathan tells David his plan for letting him know what the results are of the plan, how he's going to report it to him. And so let me just briefly um, summarize it. He says, um, tomorrow's the new moon, and you go hide yourself, and will your seat will be empty. And so on that third day, um, I will come quickly to the place where you have hid, and I will tell you what Saul says. And I will shoot three arrows, and when the boy goes to find him, I will say either this, look, the arrows are on this side of you. If I say that, then you can know that the Lord is with you. There is no danger from my father. But if I say, look, the arrows are beyond you, then go, David, for the Lord has sent you away. When he says that, Lord has sent you away, it means Saul, my father, wants to take your life. He wants to kill you. And then Jonathan finishes with these words, these beautiful words. Look at verse 23. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. The Lord is between you and me forever. He's saying, David, God is in this with us to the very end. God is in the middle of this. Their friendship is deep and loyal and loving and faithful because God is in it with them because of God being at the very center of their friendship. Kind of reminds me of that song. I don't know how many of you remember it, but Michael W. Smith sang it, Friends Are Friends Forever, When the Lord is Lord of Them. It's a song that tells us that very thing. If the Lord is the Lord between you, then you have this forever friendship. Jonathan wants God's best for David. God's best, and so an application for us could be for us to want God's best for our friends. Proverbs 13, uh, 20 tells us, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Encourage your friends in the Lord. Encourage them to do the right thing, to walk with the Lord. Pray for them that they will make godly choices. Desire God's best for your friends because that's what godly friends do. They desire God's best for each other. So let's go on here and look at how this plan unfolds. Verse 24, we see that David hides himself in the field and the rest come to the king's table and Jonathan is sitting there and Abner, but David's seat is empty. Verse 26, yet Saul did not say anything that day for he thought something has happened to him. He's not clean. Surely he is not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? So when he says there that David is unclean, it doesn't mean that he needs to take a shower. He has to go freshen up. It's talking about being ceremonially unclean. And there were different laws that they had, that different things that could make them unclean, such as 
touching a dead animal could make you unclean. And so there were certain rituals, certain ceremonial things that you did to clean yourself, but they would only take a day. So it looks like Saul gives David a pass that first night, but when he's absent from Saul's table the second night, now Saul is getting suspicious. And he's thinking, what's up with David? Where is he? What's going on here? And so he asks his son, Jonathan, and Jonathan answers in verse 28. David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now, if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. So we see Jonathan slips in that lie, and nothing goes well after this, because Saul is not fooled. He's not fooled at all. And he responds in verse 30, Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Whoa, whoa, Saul is outraged. He is yelling curse words at his son, Jonathan, calling him names. If we were reading this in today's language, he'd be saying, you beep, 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 beep. He is cursing at him, calling him all kinds of evil names. Now, a few weeks ago, Kathy Harrelson talked to us about our heart and how what's in our heart comes out our mouth. In fact, there is a... um, verse in Luke 6.45 that says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Saul's heart is wicked. It's filled to overflowing with evil. And so the words that come out of Saul's mouth are vile, hostile, hateful words. And it seems like Saul's screaming at Jonathan saying, don't you even get it? You won't be king if David is still alive. And we're all thinking, hey, Saul, you're the one who doesn't get it. God has already said your kingdom will not continue. We've seen that a couple places so far, but on your verse sheet, I've got one, uh, chapter 15, verse 26. Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. The Lord has already determined that Saul is not going to be king. And so how does Jonathan respond to these angry words of his father? Look at verse 32. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger, and he ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. You know, Jonathan is pretty amazing. We've seen that uh, um, over and over again. His father has just called him these mean hostile, um, evil names. And Jonathan's only concern is for David's safety. 
He's concerned about David and David's safety. And so he says, why kill him? What has he done? And Saul's response, he throws his spear at his son trying to kill him. It's like he forgot just a couple minutes ago, he said that he wanted Jonathan to be king. So now Jonathan leaves the table fully convinced that Saul wants to take David's life. And Jonathan is grieved. He's grieved not for himself, but he's grieved over Saul's hatred for David. David is God's anointed. David is God's man. Now, Saul knows this. Saul really knows that David is the anointed king. But we know this because he just said it to him. If David's alive, you can't be king. So he knows that this is God's plan. But Saul wants his plan. He wants his plan, and he's so arrogant, and he's so foolish that he thinks he can override God's plan, that somehow he can thwart God's plan. Jonathan also knows that David is God's man, but his response is the exact opposite of Saul's because he wants God's plan. Jonathan desires God's will. He knows that David is to be king, and that's what he wants. Jonathan wants what God wants, and God wants David to be king, and so that is okay with Jonathan. Although, Jonathan looks to me like he would have been a pretty good king. Vanita talked about that last week in the video. She said that um, Jonathan loves the Lord, and he always obeys him, and we've seen Jonathan be a brave warrior with God giving him victory in battle, and to this point, he's been a loyal and faithful son to his father, Jonathan, though, has gracefully and graciously given up his succession to the throne. He's not jealous of David. He's not a rival of David. Instead, he is unselfishly devoted to David. He is faithful and loyal, and whatever it takes, Jonathan is willing to give for David's best. What a noble example of friendship. I want to be a friend like Jonathan As loyal friends, I want to give unselfishly to the friendship without counting the cost. And when I say counting the cost, I'm not talking about money, although maybe um, money might be uh, something that you need to do in certain situations. But I'm talking about putting out effort, acts of service, time with your friends that benefit them, no matter what the situation is, no matter if it's a good time or no matter if it's a bad time, a very bad time. Proverbs 17, 17 tells us that a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Love at all times. As loyal friends, give unselfishly to the friendship without counting the cost. So now Jonathan has the heartbreaking task of reporting the results of the plan um, to David. He has to tell him, what has happened. So let's look at verse 35. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to his boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. So as previously arranged, Jonathan goes out to the field where David is hiding behind um, the big boulders, and he begins to shoot the arrows and tells the boy to go 
and gather him. And when it says little boy, it probably means a young boy, someone so young that he would not be suspicious in the least of Jonathan's target practice. And I have a picture of that. We can put that up now um, out of a children's Bible storybook. And I love this picture. Maybe this is how you had it pictured, David behind some rocks and Jonathan shooting the arrows to the boy. Jonathan shoots his arrows and he calls out this dreaded phrase, the words that David's hoping probably aren't coming, and that is, is not the arrow beyond you? Is not the arrow beyond you? So now David knows this very sad news. Saul wants to kill him. And I think David takes no comfort in being right about Saul's intentions. And then Jonathan really sounds the alarm. Look at verse 38. And Jonathan called after the boy, hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and he came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and he said to him, go and carry them to the city. So these words that Jonathan shouts out to the boy would have a deeper meaning for David. Jonathan's saying in essence, it's bad, David. It's bad. My father is out of control. You must leave right now. You have no time to waste. Such scary and distressing news for David and such an overwhelmingly sad situation for Jonathan and David. In verse 41, we see that the boy leaves and then David rose from beside the stone heap and he fell on his face to the ground and he bowed three times and they kissed one another and they wept with one another, David weeping the most. Now this might sound kind of extreme for our culture today, but um, back then and I think some cultures today still, the men show their emotion much more. They hug and touch each other. And so we see that this is an overwhelmingly sad situation. The boy leaves and David comes out from behind the boulder and the first thing he does, you see it, he bows down three times to Jonathan. I think David's um, humility is apparent here. Even though David has been anointed king, he shows great respect to Jonathan, the prince, the son of King Saul, and also his beloved friend. Friends show respect to one another. And he bows before him, and I think he also felt gratitude for what Jonathan had done, how Jonathan had risked um, what all he had risked to get this news. Now, I don't think David necessarily knew that Saul had thrown a spear at Jonathan, but we do, David knew full well how volatile and how um, evil and impulsive Saul could be. David knew that Jonathan had probably put himself in great danger defending David. And so now David must be on the run from Saul. There is no going back to the palace He must hide from Saul. And so this is a turning point in the book because from now on, David will be running and hiding from Saul. It's his life for the next 10 years until Saul's death. And Jonathan knows that it's better for David if he goes alone. It would bring attention to him if Jonathan left with David. And so Jonathan must go back to the palace and continue to fight in Israel's army while David leaves and begins this life of running from Saul. They must say goodbye 
and both are overcome with emotion. They don't know when or if they'll ever see each other again. And spoiler alerts, before we all start crying here, um, they do get to see each other again briefly. We're gonna see that in a couple weeks in chapter 23. And so I put that verse on your verse sheet, 23, 16, and 17. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and he went to David at Horesh and he strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. I love it that when they see each other again, Jonathan is encouraging him in the Lord, just like he's going to encourage David right now. Look at verse 42. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. Jonathan encourages David at their farewell with these beautiful words, go in peace. What encouragement for David. Their covenant friendship is based on the Lord. He's saying no matter how far apart we are, David, we have the Lord in common between us. Our friendship is strong in the Lord forever because of the Lord, because of who he is. You know, maybe you've had to say goodbye to a dear friend moving away, or maybe um, you've said goodbye to someone in the military that's going into danger, and maybe you've spoken of your bond with the Lord together. Maybe you've prayed for them, asking God to be with them and with you as they, you're apart from each other. Or maybe you just have a dear friend uh, in town that's going through a really hard time. And you want to encourage them, encourage them in the Lord, encourage them with God's attributes, his love, his power, his presence, his peace, his sovereign plan, his grace and mercy, his provision. Encourage your friends with God's attributes. As loving friends, let's encourage one another. And two great attributes Jonathan just used right here. God's peace and his presence. Now, you may say, I don't really have a friend like Jonathan in my life. In fact, I've never had a friend like Jonathan. Let's remember that Jesus is our friend. Jesus is our perfect friend. In the Gospel of John, he calls his disciples my friends. And in the book of Matthew, we read um, that Jonathan is, I mean, that Jesus is the friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, we may not be tax collectors, but we are all sinners. Jesus is our perfect friend, and Jesus listens well. Any time, day or night, wherever you are, any place, Jesus is always listening, and he understands he understands you. Look at 1 Peter 3, 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. And then Jesus says in Matthew 28, 20, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is always with us. He's always with us. Sometimes our friends need to leave us physically. Sometimes they leave us emotionally. 
They disappoint us. They don't live up to our expectations. Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. And Jesus gives us peace. Look at what Jesus says in John 14, 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Jesus gives us that peace, not the world peace. He gives us that peace that goes deep inside our hearts. We feel that peace in the most um, uncertain situations. It's that peace that passes understanding. Jesus gives us that peace. And ladies, Jesus loves us. He loves us so much that he gave his life for, for us. John 15, 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus shed his blood and he died on the cross to take the punishment, the penalty of our sin, so that we might be made righteous, so that we might trust in him and live forever in relationship with him. Jesus is our perfect friend. Jesus is our loyal, faithful friend. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are so good. You love us. You care about us, Father. You made us relational so that we could be in relationship with you, in relationship with each other. Lord, I pray that these words in chapter 20 would go deep in our hearts, Father, that we might be good friends, good friends to one another. And Lord, I thank you for Jesus our perfect friend. And I pray all this in his name. Amen.